1: organ donation, and transplants, and you can call it the Logan Boulay effect. He, of course, is the young victim of the Humboldt Broncos crash, who willed his organs to be donated, and that caused a big spike around the country here in Ontario. That translated into an increase in both organ donations and then in transplants this year, in just the first three months of the year, the Trillium Gift of Life Network recorded a record setting 388 lives were saved in the province. So who exactly has been donating their organs? Would you do it or have you signed your organ donation card? I want to hear from people. The numbers to call 416 360 0740, toll free 1 866 740 4740. And joining me now is Ronnie Gavsey, CEO of the Trillium Gift of Life Network. Hi, thanks for being with us. Good afternoon. Happy to be here. Okay, so, uh, w- What is the extent of the increase in people donating their organs?
2: Well, we have seen in the last three months, which is the first quarter of this fiscal year, is a 27% increase in the number of organ donors and a 31% increase in the number of transplants. That's an increase above the same period last fiscal year. Wow. So that's a lot. It's substantial. Substantial. Yes. And as you say, uh, Logan Boulet had a lot to do with this because uh, Be a Donor Month is April, which is the first month of the fiscal year. And across the Canada, we recognized and honored him. The results certainly are clear in Ontario.
1: Mm hmm. Now. I understand that uh, part of this, uh, and I find this very interesting and uh, it's probably very interesting for our older demographic, that a lot of the people who are are want to donate their organs are people who have opted for medical assistance in dying. That's correct.
2: So individuals who have been approved for medical assistance in dying are entitled, as is anyone else in Ontario, to... Be educated on the option of organ donation. And so they are, and they make a choice. And we have found that in the first quarter of this fiscal, six, uh, there were six organ donors resulted, resulting from medical assistance in dying. And that compares to 12 from the whole year previously. So obviously the number is increasing.
1: I'm, uh, a little surprised by that, uh, but I'm I'm also wondering. I mean, people who opt for medical assistance in dying are people who uh, are terminally ill. So, are their organs good? I mean, you know, I I would think, uh, you know, according to the stats, a lot of people are people who have cancer. Their organs are still viable. So, people who are currently being treated for cancer at the time of their medical
2: assistance in dying. Are not uh, uh, organ donors. That's not an option if you're currently being treated. But people uh, who are dying from other causes unrelated to cancer, the, many of their organs are are absolutely suitable for donation. So this suitability is tested
1: once an individual makes a decision. Then their
2: suitability
1: is tested. And let me ask you this. If you've been treated for cancer in the past, are your organs viable? Yes. yes. Even after like if, chemo, radiation, the whole... If you've been free from treatment and uh, a cancer for five years, yes. That and is the case. What are some of the other conditions that would make you uh, not eligible to be an organ donor? Well, I would
2: say in general... Uh, It's important to know that to be an organ donor, you have to pass away on a respirator. So if a person uh, dies in hospital and is not being uh, on a respirator, the organs are not being perfused, then they're not eligible. They're not eligible. And that's only about 2% of the deaths in a hospital are people who die on a respirator. So all the others are precluded okay. uh, from donation. So that very much limits the number of people who are are even potential organ donors. And then once you've uh, someone has passed on a on a respirator, and uh, the family history has been taken, and the uh, family has consented, there are many more medical tests and. They they may find other conditions that would, for example, infections that could potentially be passed on to the recipient, which would preclude uh, organ donation. But I will tell you that in this era, one of the reasons why we're seeing an increase in the number of donors is what we've called increased risk donors are actually becoming donors because we have medications That will, in fact, preclude the recipient from being infected. There's so much tremendous increase
1: in medical acumen and technology today. And I I think there's also an increase in uh, uh, the procedures for making uh, the organs viable. It's called ex vivo regeneration. Mm -hmm. That's exactly
2: right, Libby, especially for lungs, uh, where lungs are not pristine and not uh, uh, in perfect condition for donation. They are regenerated outside the body. And research is now being done such that we can move forward on that very soon with liver and with kidney.
1: Okay, let's take a call from Lena in Etobicoke. Boy, it's uh, Etobicoke day today. Hi, Lena. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you?
3: Very good. Um, I'm actually from Nova Scotia originally, and, um, I am an organ donor. I've never thought to not be. Um, and just to be frank, I mean, when it comes to my organs, once I'm done using them, if they're good to go first and save someone else's life, I would be, I I would hate to see them go to waste, basically. That's, that's my stance on it. But being from Nova Scotia, I believe they recently changed the law in Nova Scotia to say that it's basically you're uh, considered to be like an okay go on uh, donating your organs unless you specifically go and say, no, I don't want to. Um, So instead of having to go and say, yes, I'm an organ donor, they'll just assume if you don't do anything, they'll assume you are an organ donor. But if you really do not want to donate your organs, you have to go and say no. And I feel like that might even help to make it so that more people are organ donors because if some people just don't bother to go out and sign the papers and do the things to say yes, you can use my organs, uh, they'll just automatically uh, sort of use them, basically uh, in Nova Scotia, unless you spe- specifically go out of your yeah, it's and negative say no
1: negative option. Yeah, it's, it was yeah. quite controversial. I remember I did a couple of interviews on that. So you think that's a good idea, Lena?
3: I think it is, um, and because I mean, maybe I'm just naive or something like that but I just don't really see why anybody would say no I don't use them I'm dead bury me with them like I don't I don't see why you need them anymore if they're good to save someone's life let that be like let it happen okay Lena thanks very much for that yeah have a good day Okay,
1: uh do you agree with Lena that we should have a system uh negative option you're an organ donor unless you take the trouble to say hey no I'm not or is that too aggressive I mean people got very upset about negative option when it came to their cable bills I don't know uh, about the organ donors it does seem to be working in Nova Scotia, people, the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 I'm here with Ronnie Gavsey. She's the CEO of the Trillium Gift of Life Network. We're talking about a big increase in organ donation and a big increase in transplants, which is uh, the main thing. That's really the life-saving effort. And uh, Ronnie Gavsey, do you... What are the kinds of objections that people have now religious uh,
2: people some people think their religion uh, does not allow organ donation, and uh, we can tell them that all the major religions say that organ donation is not only acceptable it 's obligatory. If you can save a life, that trumps all other traditions. I think it's important, though, to seek those words from your faith leader, and we uh, work with many faith leaders of all diverse faiths on how to educate uh, their congregations so that people will realize that religion is not a barrier. Okay,
1: let's take a call from Sharif in Mississauga. Hi, Sharif. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Good. Good makes me feel so good.
4: I'm an organ donor. I just spent three here for my driver's license. And the young lady from Nova Scotia, it's so wonderful to hear that. To save somebody's life, if they can help people, my organs, they're healthy, I would even be happy when I'm dead that I help somebody else.
1: That's a nice sentiment. Did you just become an organ donor, Sharif?
4: Yes, I did. I turned 77, June 30. And I thought about that many, many, many times, about that thing. I thought about that. But this time, I went, and a lady asked me if I would like to be an organ donor. I said, with the pleasure. She laughed. She said, use of character. I said, look, if I can help somebody, why not? It's a lot of people, they're waiting for liver, for kidneys, for lungs, uh, all kinds of stuff uh, for heart. If I can help, I would be grateful to do it.
1: Okay, Sharif, thanks for that.
4: You're very welcome. Bye.
1: Bye. I guess uh, it's, that's the deal with a lot of people that they're thinking about it, but they kind of don't get around to doing it. Procrastination is our.
2: Our biggest hurdle—it's really our biggest hurdle—because uh, you know people are surveyed, and eighty-five percent will say they totally support organ donation, and yet our registration rate is thirty-four percent in the province, twenty-four percent in Toronto. We need people to do what Sharif has done, and just act. No more
1: uh, procrast. Don't put it off. I am here with Ronnie Gavsey, the CEO of the Trillium Gift of Life Network. We're talking about an increase in organ donations. We're talking with people about whether they would do it, whether it should be one of uh, these opt-out processes, like in Nova Scotia where you're an organ donor unless you tell the authorities you don't want to be. And we are going to go right to the phones. Let's go to Evie in Toronto. Hi, Evie. Hi. Uh, yeah, my my sister,
5: um, thank God, uh, got there was a donor and she got a liver um, transplant. It was about six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I am, I definitely feel that it should be, unless you say no, um, it should, yeah, it should be that your organs are, are donated. I think that's a good idea.
1: Uh-huh. And, uh, just what difference did it make in your sister's health and her outlook and everything and the, your whole family, I guess? Yeah. And, um,
5: I didn't think we could, and I'm, Jewish, and I didn't think that we could. And then uh, we found out somebody came and talked about it. And yes, definitely you can. So I hope everybody will, you know, think about it really deeply, because you never know. And when you find out there's someone, you know, uh, donating, it's, it's uh, life-changing.
1: Well, so, tell me a little bit about how it affected your sister's life and your family's life getting that transplant. Oh,
5: well, probably kill me if you know I'd phoned, but no, I mean it's it's it was sort of the last minute. She was on, you know, um machines and um she needed a whole liver, not a not a just a, a piece, you know, so it's it's harder. Uh to, that way nobody was really in a, a match and um we didn't want my she didn't want her husband because, you know, if God forbid anything happened then you know, she wanted wanted to be one parent that would be okay, but um, it's it's a wonderful, um, it's a miracle to have it happen. And it, if you are ever in that position, God forbid, you can really appreciate how important it is. So, well, um, I, I'm, I'm, and, and so far, so good. So far, so good.
1: You know, it's 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 nice to hear a story from from that end on how it affects people and and I can hear from your voice how emotional it is for you still. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God. Okay. Thanks Libby. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Let's go to Teresa in Etobicoke. Hi Teresa.
5: Hello Libby. Um, I'm phoning because I've always kind of had a question in the back of my head and I've never really asked it and perhaps uh, someone can answer it today. Um, I know that when my mother uh, was in the hospital dying and I was with her, uh, after she stopped breathing, I asked, uh, is she now passed away? Is she dead? And they said, not really, because her organs are still taking time to shut down. And it takes about 45 minutes or whatever they told me at the time. So my question is, is, when you are dying, when do they go in to get the organs? Is it the time from when you stop breathing uh, until they shut down? Or do you know how they do that? Or
1: I'm going to let Ronnie Gavsey answer that question. And I know that's a lot of the hesitation and the sci-fi things that people worry that if you've agreed to become an organ donor, uh, you will be harvested before you're actually dead yeah that is one of the
2: fears people have that uh, causes them not to register consent so i appreciate the opportunity to dispel that fear Uh, organs are not recovered until after an individual has been declared dead by two doctors separately from each other And the transplant community of medicine doesn't enter the picture until there have been two declarations of death. Now, in certain circumstances, I don't want to go into your particular medical circumstances, but in certain circumstances where there's withdrawal of life support, uh, it, it takes time until... Uh, the person is declared dead. It may be that even though you withdraw life support, uh, the uh, person doesn't die for several hours. So in that case, even then, uh, until two doctors have declared the individual has passed, there will be no recovery of organs. It, it, that is, uh, um, uh, okay. the medical approach and, uh, and there's no, uh, diverging from it. Okay. And that's okay, why, just... is that presumably why y- you have to be on a respirator? Certainly, uh, yes. You have to be on a respirator and, and the organs are kept perfused so that they uh, are in a condition uh, that can be uh, uh, of use right. to the recipient.
1: Okay, thank you very much. Thank oh, you. Okay, Teresa, thanks for your question. Uh, and Ronnie, I mean, it was... It was very heartwarming to hear from a family member of somebody who received a transplant it certainly
2: was it's 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 an emotionally intense area of for the family for the donor family the recipients and for all who work in this area and i want to say that uh, there are over 1600 people in the province today on the medic- most medically urgent waitlist for a life-saving transplant and 397 of those people live in Toronto. I'm saying that because I want you to know they aren't this doesn't happen to somebody else. This happens to our family members, it can happen tomorrow, our our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues and it's happening right now. And the people on the waitlist are listening to this and and it gives them hope. When they hear these very positive stories and attitudes,
1: okay, uh, let's hear from Ed in Burlington. Hi, Ed Hello
4: Yes, I have a question regarding once that the harvest of the organs is complete, what happens to the rest of the body can that be taken away? Can that be buried, or is there any cost implication?
2: There are no cost implications at all, and the body is returned to the family for whatever kinds of arrangements that family would make, even if the person were not uh, a a life-saving organ donor. So if, for example, the family tradition calls for an open casket, there will be an open casket. So there is no impact. If I Uh, want
4: to donate further to to a university, can that be done after?
2: You can opt. When you register for consent, you'll see there is an option to donate for research.
4: And And is there any cost implication
2: there? None at all. No?
4: None. So it could be uh, my family doesn't have to pay anything for taking my... no, No, no. Okay. Well, thank you very much.
1: Okay, thank you. All right, bye. Uh, we still have a few minutes. We're talking about organ donation and transplants. I'm here with Ronnie Gavsey. The number is to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And Ronnie, there are some religious traditions that call for a burial or a f- funeral right after, you know, within... 24 hours you know i'm assuming that that the process of harvesting puts a delay in that how how do you deal with that it uh, recovery will prolong the
2: time and if you uh, your traditions are to bury within 24 hours that time frame cannot likely be met but your religious leader will tell you or tell the family that prolonging for another few hours is, is an obligation uh, when, it, when it can save the life of another. So there are many religious traditions that uh, can be um, uh, d- dealt with and, and um, respected and still uh, organ donation can carry
1: on and your faith leader will guide you. Mm-hmm. So, basically, your advice to people is to go to talk to their priest or imam or rabbi. Yes, and we ha-
2: we have talked to them, and, and they then talk to their congregations and encourage organ donation.
1: Okay, let's hear from Bob in Orangeville. Hi, Bob. Yeah, how you doing? Yeah, I'm an organ donor. I gave it to my daughter
6: uh, a <clears> kidney <throat> about five years ago. Oh, wow, great. Uh, tell yeah, us— and, uh, now, now, she's getting back to where uh, uh, she's going to need uh, uh, help again. But, uh, you know, i done my thing, and I'm proud of it. Uh,
1: so, was that a difficult decision for you? Not whatsoever, no.
6: No, I would have given my kidney to anybody. I think it's a great thing to do. <clears throat> if you've got a kidney that, you know, I had two good ones, so, uh, you know... I was 69, I'm and 75, and I do not have any health problems whatsoever.
1: And and uh, how did your daughter feel about your donation? Oh, just a minute. She thought that was great, yeah. And, and did it improve, how much did it improve her health? Oh, it increased her health substantially for, for
6: up to about four and a half years. And then she started to... Uh, it started to fail to a point on her, but uh, she's on, back on uh, dialysis twice a week now. But, you know, I just, I just want to tell people, <laughs> oh. by all means, it's a great thing. Okay, the thanks. It doesn't hurt your health. It didn't do anything to me. I was out actually back to work in two weeks.
1: That's good to hear, Bob. Thanks so much for yep. that. Okay. okay. I, I just wanted to tell everybody. Okay. Thanks for that. And I think uh, people have a concern about that. And I know that with kidneys, there's there's another option when family members are not a match. Is that, you know, you donate your kidney to somebody and then it gets sort of paid forward? There is. It's called the
2: Kidney Paired Donation Program. It's kind of like a domino game where two people come in. Uh, perhaps it's a husband who needs a kidney wife is not a match they come in together and the wife will match someone else donate a kidney and someone else will give a kidney to her husband it's it's a dom it's a game of dominoes that saves many many lives well
1: you know speaking of kidney transplants uh, our police chief had one that's
2: right that's right and i think
1: his wife was the donor exactly Libby, that
2: is exactly the case, and they're both doing very well.
1: They're doing very well, and, and uh, he, he managed to uh, be on dialysis and have this transplant before anyone knew about it and be police chief, which is quite unbelievable. I That to me was amazing because dialysis is a hard way of life. Yes, it takes a huge amount of time. Yes, it does. I mean, just getting off of dialysis is going to improve somebody's life, you know, by leaps and bounds. Yes, dialysis is no way of life. Okay, let's get in. One more call. Clayton in Unionville. Hi, Clayton. Hi. You're on the air. Sorry? Uh, go ahead. Okay,
4: my question is, I'm an organ donor, but how is this information communicated to the organization? Sorry? I am an organ donor, but if I were to pass away, how is this information communicated to the people that I'm an organ donor?
1: Okay, Clayton, thanks. I'm going to let Ronnie respond to that. Clayton, when when you register
2: consent, your registration uh, is kept in what's called the registered person's database inside the Ministry of Health. And uh, when someone passes and Trillium is notified, We take the OHIP number, go to the registered person's database and find out if that person has registered. And then, of course, we could approach the family armed with that information and the family will most likely consent to their loved one's wishes. So the uh, information that you are registered is kept and we would find it out.
1: And it's interesting, a lot of families say that it eases their grief to know that their loved one who died is is helping other people, sometimes quite a few other people. Absolutely. And, I, you know, you can understand why recipients would be
2: grateful, of course. They have a new life. But when donor families come into my office to say thank you, I'm overwhelmed. And they do...
1: We're basically out of time, Ronnie. What do you want to tell people about registering? How do you, how do you do it? And uh, just to wrap things up, it takes
2: only two minutes. Go to be a donor, all one word: beadonor.ca. With your OHIP number, and you will be able to register in less than two minutes. You can also register. At any Service Ontario office or when you receive your photo health card or driver's license renewal, there will be a form with it that you can fill out and send in. Please do it now. Talk to your family now. Uh, We don't want
1: a tragedy to inspire people to register. We want to do it now. Okay. Ronnie Gavsey, CEO of the Trillium Gift of Life Networks. Thank you so much for being with us.